So I invite you now to stand for the reading of God's word. We'll read in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. Luke writes, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all things I have shown you by working hard in this way. We must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Most of you know that I love music. I don't just love any kind of music, I love good music. And there is a difference. And typically the difference between good music and bad music is good songwriting. And so I deeply appreciate the skill and the passion that goes into writing a good song. So it's probably for that reason that I love to hear the stories behind good songs. For a while now, I've been the fan of a singer-songwriter from Nashville named Andrew Peterson. Andrew has sung here before at PCPC, and I happen to think he is a good songwriter. On one of his live albums, he tells the story behind one of his songs called Planting Trees. Andrew and his wife, Jamie, were married very young. And when they were young and traveling the road as musicians, Jamie, his wife, would sing background vocals with him. And as they began to have children, it became increasingly difficult to take the entire family out on the road. And so eventually Jamie decided that she, it was time that she needed to stay home with the kids. 
Well, some years later, Andrew and Jamie both were attending a conference, a small gathering of theologians and pastors and nonprofit leaders and songwriters and artists. And they were in a small discussion group. And they were discussing this, the question, what does it look like for you practically in your everyday life to push back the darkness that we see in this world? And so as they went around in a circle, each person would give their answer, right? With each theologian talking about the books that he or she had written, a pastor talking about the sermons that he had preached, a leader talking about the nonprofit that he or she was leading until it got to Andrew. And of course, he talked about songwriting, about declaring the truth of God in the most beautiful way, the most compelling way that he could. And he says, all the while, he was wondering, what is my wife, Jamie, going to say? How is she going to answer the, this question? How do you practically push back the darkness in your everyday life? Till finally, it got around to Jamie. And this is what she said. She said, I'm shedding light in the darkness by raising these three children in the Lord. Andrew said in that moment, every song, every book, every sermon, every nonprofit was put in its place. You see, I think sometimes as Christians, we think to be radical is only something to be lived out by missionaries or pastors like me or theologians or thought leaders doing amazing things for God in foreign places or having a big public platform. But friends, I want you to know this morning that the front line of radical Christianity is lived out in the small mundane places of everyday life. It is there that we labor, there that we work for the good of the Great Commission. It's a mother who wakes early to tirelessly pour out the love of Christ into her children. It's the Christian employee who's trying to be as faithful as she can as she works for a boss with a secular worldview. It's a neighbor, a Christian family, who's invited a non-Christian family over for dinner. It's a roommate who stays up late to share the hope of Christ with a friend who's deeply hurting. Brothers and sisters, the Great Commission calls every single Christian to make disciples of all nations. Now, what is a disciple? A disciple is a follower. In other words, every single one of us who follow Jesus Christ ourselves are called to, in turn, make followers of Jesus everywhere we go, with every person we meet, right here in our own city, to the ends of the earth. Paul, the apostle, gives us a vision of what that looks like as he speaks to the leaders of the Ephesian church. In verses 19 and 20, he gives us three unlikely ways that you would not expect the ways that disciple-making intersects with everyday life. He's going to call us to make disciples first with testimony, 
Second, with trials, and finally with tears. In these ways, we'll see how God has called every ordinary Christian to make disciples in the midst of everyday life. So first, we're called to make disciples with testimony. I want you to look at verse 17. Luke tells us that Paul sent to the elders the leadership of the Ephesian church. Now, of all of Paul's sermons in the book of Acts, this is the only one that is spoken to Christians. If you were with us last week, we looked at Paul's sermon to a bunch of secular Greek philosophers on the Areopagus. It was an evangelistic sermon. This morning, we're looking at Paul's sermon to a bunch of Christian leaders, and this is his message. Make disciples in the same way that I have made disciples out of you. Do as I have done to you. And so in verse 18, Paul says this, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. Three years Paul lived in Ephesus. Three years he labored among the Ephesians. He loved the Ephesians. He did life with the Ephesians. In other words, he discipled them in the midst of everyday, ordinary life. How? He tells us, verse 20, first, by testifying to the truth of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you in public and from house to house. In other words, in every single circumstance, all times and in all places, Paul sought every opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection and what that means for the lost. St. Francis of Assisi famously said, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. There's just two problems with that quote. The first is he didn't say it. That's a problem. The second, it's always necessary to use words to preach the gospel. The gospel is good news, news to be proclaimed. It is the word of God, the words of eternal life, words that must be spoken, words that must be shared. St. Francis, of all people, knew this all too well. One historian put it this way. He said, his words were neither hollow nor ridiculous, but filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, penetrating the marrow of the heart, so that listeners were turned to great amazement. In Romans chapter 10, Paul says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Now I realized this morning that evangelism is a very overwhelming word for many Christians. I also recognize that for those of you who are not Christians in this room, the word evangelism might be offensive to you. So let me just say a few words this morning about evangelism. The word evangelism 
just comes from the Greek word euangelion, which simply means good news. So the practice, the art of evangelism is simply telling somebody else about good news. It is sharing good news in the same way that a grandparent couldn't help but share the good news of the birth of a grandchild. In the same way that we couldn't help but share the good news of the Rangers winning the pennant. I know that's painful, it's been a while. It's the same way that we cannot help but share the good news of a promotion at work or something good that's happened to us. We cannot help it. But we want to tell people that's good. You got to know what's happened. In the same way, we should never shrink back from telling other people about the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. If Jesus is precious to you, you will not be able to keep the good news to yourself. You will be whispering it into your child's ear. You'll be telling it to your husband. You'll be earnestly imparting it to a friend. This is why I think Paul uses the word testify, because he's a witness. He has seen the gospel work in his own life. And now he is bearing witness to the gospel's power. You do not have to have eloquent words or a theology degree. All you have to have is this, the story of rescue and your own life. Brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus Christ this morning, you have a story of rescue and it is your story to tell. The story of how Christ broke into your heart, pierced it wide open, and brought a dead heart to life through his death and resurrection. Every story is unique, and here's the amazing thing. No one can argue with it. No one can deny it. We are living testimonies of the work of the gospel. And so we are called to make disciples by testifying to the gospel's power. Second, we're called to make disciples through trials. I want you to look with me at verse 22. I want you to imagine this as if I were saying this to you on some Sunday morning, an announcement to you, the church. Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. In other words, it would be as if I said to you this morning, my wife Ginny and I have been called to New York City and we are leaving and we have no idea what's going to happen except for this. God has made it clear that we will be thrown in prison and that we will suffer. How would you respond? Can you imagine what this was like for the Ephesian leadership to hear this? Luke tells us that they wept when Paul left because they knew they would never see his face again. I wonder if any of them told him, don't do it. In the same way that Peter told Jesus not to go to the cross, I wonder if any of them said, hey, don't go, Paul. It's not worth it. But Paul knew better. He knew that this is what he was called to do. And he knew that suffering is not optional for the Christian life. You see, the thing about suffering is that it visits us all. 
both Christians and non-Christians. This was certainly true of Paul. 2 Corinthians 11, he records the ways that he suffered after this moment in Ephesus. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked on frequent journeys in danger. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger from my own people, danger at sea and toil and hardship, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul suffered. Suffering visits us all. Whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, the only thing that separates us as Christians is that we have hope. And hope is a powerful witness to the world. Catherine Wolfe was a senior at Samford University when my wife Jenny was a freshman. In 2008, shortly after the birth of her first child, Catherine had a massive brainstem stroke. She was just 26 years old. By all accounts, she should not have survived. The surgeon who operated on her said it was the worst case that he had ever seen. And yet she somehow miraculously survived a 16-hour surgery in 40 days of being on a ventilator in the ICU. And when she came out of coma, she found that her right side was paralyzed. She couldn't swallow. She couldn't speak. She couldn't walk. And there was her husband, Jay, at her bedside, walking with her, helping her to relearn how to talk, how to walk, have the basic function of everyday life. Today, the wolves have dedicated their lives to sharing about the hope they have in Christ, even in the midst of trials. They've written a book called Hope Heals, and they speak all over the country talking about how difficult it was and even still is, and yet there is hope, even when it's messy. Now, I hesitate to share that story with you because the reality is, is that none of us in this room have a public platform. None of us have a book to be written. And quite frankly, for many of us, our sufferings and our trials are very lonely we find ourselves backed into a corner feeling like we are the only ones who are going through the trial. Here in our own congregation, there are so many stories of such pain, of such suffering. And yet along with every one of those stories are stories of redemption and stories of hope. It doesn't mean as Christians that we suffer perfectly. It doesn't mean that we have it all together. No, it is messy and it is broken. But deep down as believers in Christ, we know that there is joy on the far side of sorrow. That there is healing and there is hope on the far side of pain. We know this because Jesus Christ has already rescued us. And he is pouring that rescue out in the midst of everyday life. This is our witness. Life is hard, but he is good. 
And there is hope. Hope that we can offer to a world without it. So finally, as we end this morning, we're called to make disciples with our tears. Verse 28, Paul says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Paul's final encouragement to the Ephesian elders was to guard the church like a shepherd guarding the flock. He knew that opposition would come. Opposition against the mission of God and the mission of the church. Opposition that would try to thwart the great commission at every turn. He knew that this opposition would not only come from outside of the church, but get this, the opposition came from inside the church as well. And that is just as true today. That opposition is in you, that opposition is in me. You see, the thing about discipleship and making disciples is that it's hard. It's hard because people are sinful and sinful people do sinful things. Church life would be a lot easier if there weren't people in it. But as it turns out, that's actually the whole thing. Which means we must bear one another's burdens, we must labor with one another. We get a little bit of a clue about what Paul was up against in Ephesus by his letter to the Ephesians. False teaching, sensuality, greed, anger, bitterness, slander, malice, sexual immorality, impurity, covetedness, drunkenness. And what's so amazing about Paul is that as he rebuked these things, he did so not with condemnation and not with judgment. But he tells us, he tells us that he did so with tears. Look with me, verse 31. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul wept for the Ephesian church. Even in their sin and opposition, Paul wept for them. Why? Because he loved them. Because he loved them. You see, you cannot do evangelism. You cannot make disciples. You cannot fulfill the great commission without love. How do I know? Because that's the good news. In love, in love, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and for me. What does this look like? I think this morning we've been given a perfect example. This morning, the parents who brought their children for baptism took three vows. The first two vows have to do with their acknowledgement of the desperate need for their children to come to faith and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the third vow is a vow that is rooted in the Great Commission. It's a discipleship vow. I want you to hear it again. Do you now unreservedly dedicate your children to God and promise and humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before them a godly example that you will pray with them and for them, that you will teach them the doctrines of our holy religion, that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to nurture and admonition of the Lord. Do you hear it? Do you hear 
the Great Commission, the call to radically make disciples of your own children. No wonder parenthood is so hard. No wonder it is so incredibly difficult because we are not just moving and working and laboring as parents against the strong will of a child, but we are doing war against the principalities and powers of darkness that seek to overwhelm their souls. And so fight the good fight, parents. You are called to do nothing less than fulfill the great commission through parenthood. So I recognize this morning that not all of us are parents, but you are sons and daughters. You are employers and employees. You are neighbors and friends. Who has God and his sovereign power put in your life so that they could hear the good news? Who has God called you to love and to labor with tears? Does your heart break for the brokenness of our world? Do you weep for the lost on your street, in our city, in our country, all over the world? God has called us to love because he has loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The Gospels tell us that when Jesus faced the cross, knowing what was to come, he looked out over Jerusalem and he wept. He wept because even though he knew that this city was about to send him to the cross, he loved them anyways. And he willingly laid his life down for you and for me. Jesus Christ is the living testimony. He is the good news. And he gave his life for you and for me that all who believe would have life. Jesus Christ stepped down into the midst of our trials and he suffered for us that we could have hope. Jesus Christ weeps now for you and for me as he intercedes and prays for us at the right hand of the Father praying that our faith would not fail. He died for you and he rose for you so that you would be his disciples. And so go, go, make disciples of everyone you meet from Dallas to the ends of the earth as we fulfill this radical calling to extend his kingdom every single day. Join me in prayer. Father, we ask that you would enable us to do this very thing. Father, we thank you that you've not called us to speak with eloquent words, that you've called us not to go earn degrees or to know how to pick a good fight, but you've called us to bear the good news of Jesus Christ in our own lives, to speak the hope that we have in the death and resurrection to suffer in a broken way so that the world would see that suffering affects us all, but there is hope. And Father, would you break our hearts? Break our hearts for those who don't know you and give us every opportunity to share 
what you have done for us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.